Galatians 2, verses 11 through 21. Here, for this is the word of the Lord. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth, and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus, in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If we were to identify one major sinful behavior Jesus warned about that stands out in all of his teachings, It would be religious hypocrisy. He said to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, the easy things, the things that people can see you do, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Or or Jesus' most popular teaching, which is often misinterpreted and misquoted. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. He was speaking there about the dangers of hypocrisy, not that we shouldn't judge people's actions at all. Now, by the time you get to Paul and the building of the foundation of the church, religious hypocrisy didn't just cease to exist. It was still a problem for the church. Thousands of years later, it can still be a problem for the church, as Christians have often acted hypocritically throughout history. This is the very thing that Paul confronts in our text today. So far, he has been arguing that his authority was equal with the apostles and that his gospel was the same gospel from the same Lord as the apostles. This was confirmed when he received the right hand of fellowship from the pillars of the church, James, Peter, and John. 
So since he received his gospel directly from Christ himself, he was proving that he didn't receive it from other men and that he was not a people pleaser. He was proving that he was not like the false teachers. His message was not about making everyone happy. Now, this doesn't mean he was a jerk about it. He didn't purposely make people dislike him. He wasn't a sociopath. But the seriousness of the gospel demanded that he spoke the truth for the sake of Christ, no matter what. And the truth of the gospel is that no one is justified, no one is declared righteous by God because of law-keeping, but only by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what the Galatians believed at first, but after believing the Judaizers, they were leaving this faith altogether. They were believing that they will be saved by faith and obedience to the law, in this specific case, the ceremonial law of the Old Testament, circumcision. But this is a false gospel, because this would mean they are giving up the freedom from the demands and curse of the law that Christ purchased for us and submit again to a yoke of slavery. So Paul seeks to confront and correct this false teaching. And so since Paul was not a people pleaser, if he saw that even if it was one of the apostles who was going off the rails and living out of accord with the gospel, he was going to confront him. Remember what he said. But even if we, that is, we the apostles, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel, contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And guess what? Someone within his own ranks stood condemned. So first, Paul confronts this religious hypocrisy. But that is not all. Secondly, he also expounds on the true gospel to correct religious hypocrisy. First, Paul speaks of how he had to confront one of his own, someone of equal authority who was preaching the same gospel but wasn't living in light of that gospel. Who was it? Cephas or Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, which was a city in modern-day Turkey in Paul's missionary base, Paul confronted Peter. If you know the story of Peter, this wouldn't be much of a surprise. The story here is that Peter was having a good old time eating with the Gentiles until certain men came from James, who was in Jerusalem. These men were Jews, and they made up what Paul called the circumcision party, who we call the Judaizers. These were false brothers who were trying to bind Christians to Old Testament ceremonial law. So that would mean they would go back to the way they viewed the Gentiles. Jews would have never eaten with Gentiles because in the Old Covenant, eating with Gentiles made you ceremonially unclean. Gentiles were considered sinners just for being Gentiles. If you don't know what a Gentile is, it just means a non-Jew, someone who is not a Jew. They were considered dogs. When Jesus tested the faith of the Canaanite woman, he referred to her as a dog in a tongue-in-cheek kind of way, 
Think of the shocked reaction that Jesus received from the Pharisees when he ate with tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors and sinners there were most likely publicly scandalous sinners and Gentiles. Also, the food that Gentiles ate was unclean according to the laws of Leviticus 11. No lobster, no crab, no shrimp, no pork, ostriches, hawks, eagles, etc. Some of my favorite foods. But these laws were done away with once you get to Acts chapter 10, when Peter received a vision from the Lord of a giant sheet descending from heaven. And on that sheet were all kinds of animals, reptiles and birds. And there came a voice, rise Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. Peter should have known better. There was nothing wrong with eating with Gentiles anymore. And he was now, guess what? Living like a Gentile. Because he was eating like one. But when Peter saw the circumcision party, he quickly changed his allegiance. He drew back and separated himself from the Gentiles, fearing the circumcision party. Good old Peter. Doesn't this sound familiar? This was Peter's besetting sin. Remember, out of fear, he denied Jesus three times after Jesus was captured and was brought before Caiaphas, the high priest, which would lead to an unlawful trial and Jesus' crucifixion. Now, at the appearance of the circumcision party, Peter denied having anything to do with the Gentiles and withdrew his fellowship from them. And by doing this, Peter was denying the gospel and what Christ has done on behalf of both Jew and Gentile. Paul charges that Peter was acting hypocritically. But Peter wasn't the only one acting hypocritically. Notice, he had an influence on others around him. See, legalism and hypocrisy are contagious. And they destroy church unity and Christian freedom. It says that the rest of the Jews, the Jewish Christians in Galatia, acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. This proves that Christians can be guilty of hypocritical behavior at times. And it could lead others around us astray. This is why we are to watch our conduct. That we're not sending the wrong message. If we are saved by grace, why would we act like we have earned our salvation? Why is there lack of grace in our conduct? But this is when Paul stepped in and opposed Peter to his face. Because Peter stood condemned. Although Peter was preaching the true gospel, he wasn't preaching that you needed to be circumcised in order to be saved. But he was not living 
in light of that gospel. The gospel that has torn down the barriers between Jew and Gentile. He says, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, the truth that Christ died for both Jew and Gentile alike, I said to Cephas, or Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, you're at the table with them, you're eating their food, and you don't live like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? How can you now side with the circumcision party and force them to be circumcised? That's what he was saying when he withdrew from the Gentiles. It's hypocrisy. Unfortunately, there was a time in our own country where many churches were segregated along racial lines. And unfortunately, many Presbyterian ministers supported that segregation. And in order to justify segregation, many of them misapplied this text to say, if Peter never ate or hung around the Gentiles, there would have never been a problem. If he just stuck to his own kind of people, if he just stuck to the Jews, if he just lived like a Jew instead of living like a Gentile, Paul wouldn't have been so upset. The problem was his hypocrisy. He should have never led the Gentiles on. He should have never ate with them in the first place. Because, of course, that would support racial integration. Now, that doesn't sound right to me. That's missing the point. Paul is not telling Peter to stop living like a Gentile. It was God in Acts chapter 10 that told Peter to eat like a Gentile. And so live like a Gentile. God was the one who told Peter to do what would have been unnatural to him. Paul is telling Peter not to side with the Jewish circumcision party who is causing division in the body. Peter eating with the Gentiles wasn't the problem. The problem is when he stopped eating with the Gentiles because of the Jews. Paul is telling Peter to stop acting like a hypocrite. Because ask yourself, is it ever okay to withhold fellowship from a brother or sister in Christ because of their ethnic or cultural background. That would be to deny the truth of the gospel. To deny what Christ accomplished on the cross when he broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Because what is the truth of the gospel that Paul speaks of here? He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. He was saying this tongue-in-cheek to, to make a point because all Gentiles were considered sinners but not Jews, right? Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. All are sinners, Jew and Gentile, and no one will be justified. No one will be declared righteous by their works, by the works of the law. The works of the law here is not just limited 
to circumcision or the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. But this is speaking of any human effort in order to be justified or to be declared righteous in God's sight. Any human effort, including obeying the moral law. Christianity is the only religion that says you are not righteous in God's sight because you do righteous things. You are righteous because Christ is righteous. You're probably asking yourself, well, what does the works of the law have to do with the denying fellowship on the basis of ethnic or cultural background? Because to deny fellowship based along ethnic or cultural lines, you're saying that there is something intrinsic in you, something about you or your family or your worldly background that gives you the right to withhold fellowship from a brother or sister in Christ. Mind you, it is a fellowship that you received by grace. By God's grace. Just like your salvation. You didn't earn this fellowship that you have in Christ. It was given to you. You can't choose who your brothers and sisters are. This church gathering is all by God's grace. No one earned this. We can't walk into church and say, this is my house. No. This is the Lord's house. And we are here by grace. And no one should have to earn someone else's fellowship. Now, this doesn't mean we're always going to get along. And all our relationships are going to be equally as deep. We'll, we'll have deeper relationships with some individuals that we won't with others. That's okay. But we ought to be working toward peace. Purity of doctrine and unity of the church because of what Christ has done for us. And he continues by reminding the Jewish Christians and Peter, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Why, you ask? Because no one neither Jew nor Gentile, has ever kept the law. The Jews were given the law. Have they ever kept it? Nope. Paul says of the Gentiles in Romans 2.14, For when Gentiles, who do not have the law, by nature, do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves. But according to Paul, have they ever kept the law? Nope. Read Romans 3.23. Nobody has ever kept the law. Because the law requires complete and perfect obedience from the heart, soul, mind, and strength. David, who was a believer, the greatest believer to the Jews, said, no one living is righteous before you. Solomon, also a believer, short of the greatest, said, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So here Paul is saying that circumcision cannot make a person righteous in God's sight. Circumcision does not keep you from God's wrath. 
And the same goes with law-keeping. Obeying God's laws does not keep you from God's wrath. Doing righteous deeds does not keep you from God's wrath. It's too late for that. It's too late for that. Why? Because even your best form of obedience falls short of true obedience to the law. Even your best righteous deed falls short of true righteousness. Sin is mixed up all up in there. And most of the time we're doing it for selfish reasons. Maybe to get a kickback. So how do we escape God's wrath? Only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. This gives us a new perspective when we walk through those doors and greet one another, doesn't it? Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And on the flip side of this, if we add works to our salvation, we would be denying what Christ did for us. And he would have died for no purpose. Look at what he says next. Now, this text can be a little confusing at first, but it becomes more clear as we remember the context. He says, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. What is Paul saying here? Paul is addressing the fact that the circumcision party considered them, the apostles, to be sinners like the Gentiles during the Old Covenant period, because they weren't imposing circumcision on the Gentiles. But Christ became our circumcision made with our hands. The debt was canceled at the cross, and these types and shadows have passed away at the coming of Christ. In other words, Christ himself took the place of circumcision. And so if the disciples did not impose circumcision, are they accusing Christ of being a servant of sin? That's what they're asking. See, circumcision was not part of the Great Commission, as I read earlier. Baptism was, right? So to recover circumcision and impose it as a mark of salvation would be to rebuild what was already torn down. Now, to better understand this context, you should understand who the four groups of Jewish Christians were at this time in the Galatian churches. There were those who didn't impose circumcision and uh, kosher food laws on the Gentiles for salvation, but they kept it to themselves and they still observed these practices knowing that they weren't saved by them. These are who uh, Paul refers to as the weak brothers in 1 Corinthians 8. They're holding on to the tradition because they're still weak in their conscience. Okay? Paul is not addressing them. He is addressing this latter three here that I'll list here. There are those who observed the Mosaic law because they thought it was necessary for salvation for them, but they didn't impose it on others. Then the third group are those who said that observing the old Mosaic laws was a mark of spiritual maturity. Okay, that's the third group. 
The fourth group, you have the Judaizers, who believe that the new covenant is a renewal of the old covenant, and if you want to become a Christian, you must first become a Jew and be circumcised. Paul was addressing the latter three of the four. That's why he says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, what did he tear down? The traditions of his fathers. The traditions of the old covenant. If he rebuilds the traditions of his fathers that he followed so zealously at one time, he says that he would prove to be a transgressor. Why? Because it would be to replace the finished work of Christ with the traditions that Christ already fulfilled. It would undo his work and now Paul is saying that he would be judged according to the law, not according to Christ and what Christ has done for him. And he would be a transgressor because he knows he hasn't kept the law. He would be denying his only way of salvation from the law. So in verses 19 through 20, Paul expounds on our union with Christ. He says, for through the law, I died to the law. The law grants only a death sentence. It doesn't grant life. And the only way that Christ could grant life to us was by dying the death we deserve to the law. So that we might live to God. This is where he refers to how Christ's death was our death and his life was our life. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. He is speaking of who he was before Christ. He died. This is why he said in Romans 6, that if you were baptized into Christ, you were baptized into his death. His death was your death. So now, his life, is your life. His perfect life is given to you. Not that you live like him 100% perfectly, but his perfect life has been given to you. So when the Lord looks to you now, he doesn't see you and all of your faults and all of your sins. He sees Christ. This is what he is saying here. Listen to what he says in full, not just in part. Some people isolate this text. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. When Christ died on the cross, my sinful self died on that cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Meaning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ lives in Paul to enable him to believe in Christ. As he continues, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, everything that is Christ's is now yours and everything that was ours in our sin was given to Christ and it was nailed to his body on the cross. And the death of Christ meant the death of the believer, which means freedom for the believer from the demands and curse of the law. So salvation is all by grace alone. No one can claim it by works. Even our faith, 
even our faith, he says, is Christ living in us, enabling us to believe. So no one can say that they worked for it. That is what led Paul to conclude. I do not nullify the grace of God. That is by the works of the law. For if righteousness were through the law. Then Christ died for no purpose. If you could save yourself. By your obedience to the law. Then what was the purpose of Christ's death? Why did Christ Come if you could save yourself. It is to say that Christ's work was insufficient to save. For the Judaizers, the cross of Christ made it possible for salvation. You had to do something else to be saved. You had to cooperate, perform circumcision. That's heresy. That's a false gospel. The cross of Christ did not make salvation possible. The cross of Christ made it sure. It was made definite for all who believe. It was final, complete, and eternal. Hebrews 5.9 And just like all of God's promises, it was unchangeable. For many of us, this may sound obvious, but believe it or not, this is actually foreign to many people who call themselves Christians today. There are various forms of false gospels that have infiltrated the church throughout our history that has led people to believe that they will stand justified, that they will be declared righteous because they were baptized and that on judgment day, They will be justified, they will be declared righteous a second time because of their good works. Some believe they will be justified because they are being sanctified. So they are justified by faith at first, then because they're becoming more holy, on judgment day they will be justified by what they have done and how much they have been sanctified. But who decides how much is the question. In this, they have replaced the work of Christ with the evidence of salvation. Your good works is just evidence. Necessary evidence, but just evidence. It can't save you. Some believe they will be justified or declared righteous because of how poor they are, or how much they have given to the poor, or how much they have lived frugally. Some believe they will be justified based on how sorry they feel about their sins. Some believe they will be justified based on their conversion experience or how much terror they felt under the law. While some believe that they will be justified because of their ethnicity. That Jews will be saved because they're Jews. Because they're God's chosen people. But Paul said... For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. True Israel are only those who place their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. Anything that replaces the receiving and resting in Christ's finished work is a denial of the true gospel. And we can never hope to be saved by anything or anyone else. Because when we look at ourselves and our goodness... Our works, 
in light of who God is and in light of God's standards, they will never match up. They will never match up. Again, as the great hymn writer, Augustus Top Lady wrote, Not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite, that is no rest, no. Could my tears forever flow, all for sin could not atone. Thou must save, and thou alone. So what can we learn from this confrontation and the true teaching of the gospel? First, remember who you belong to, first and foremost. Remember who you belong to. You belong to Christ. You have been united to Christ. Like when Paul told the Corinthians to examine themselves, he asked them, do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? And this relationship takes priority over all other relationships. And so the truth of this gospel takes priority over all other truths or all other religions and philosophies of this world. Secondly, since we are united to Christ, we are to remember the truth of what Christ has done for us. We are to guard the teaching of justification by faith alone. Uh, the one quote that is often attributed to Martin Luther was actually said by a German Reformed theologian by the name of J.H. Alsted. And it was that justification by faith alone is the one article on which the church stands or falls. So we are not to be intimidated by anyone because of their status or power or even their close relationship to us. Our nature is to turn a blind eye to false teaching because of influence or someone's track record. We say we want to be gracious. Are we saying that Paul's confrontation of Peter was unnecessary and not in line with Christian conduct? Because when there is blatant false teaching in the church, it doesn't matter who it is, even a pope or a bishop, a pastor or an elder. Because anyone who trusts in themselves, their good works, or even trusts in how well they have followed God and how much they believe in God, they are not on the road to salvation. Who are you trusting in? Who are you resting in? Is it Jesus Christ alone? And thirdly, we are to watch out for hypocrisy. If we say we have been saved by grace, why do we act as if we worked for it? Why do we act as if someone owes us something? And why would we deny grace to others? May the Lord Jesus Christ himself fill us with love for him and love for one another that we would place him first, defend the truth of the gospel, and share this freedom of the gospel with one another. Amen.